All right, so we're on page 837 of our Pew Bibles this week. If you've got your own Bible, that's Mark 135 is where we're headed. We heard read Mark 135 to 39, and then Mark 2, 13 to 17. Uh, what that means is we took the outside portion of a section, and we use that as our reading, but we're going to try to cover that whole section today, right? So we got the opening, the closing, which you haven't heard is the middle. And if you're tuning in for the second sermon, um, uh, you're getting the bigger one. You're getting that middle. Early service didn't get the middle. They did get a little more talk about kind of remembering where Mark is starting and a bunch of stuff like that. So feel free to always listen to those other sermons on our website uh, later if you like. And of course, if you are watching out there, make use of that. Uh, but so uh, 130, uh, chapter 1, verse 35, page 837, <clears throat> set up a little bit here, though, from last week. Let's go back. Verse 32 is at the bottom of the page right prior. It says, That evening at sundown they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And they would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Remember that one of the kind of stunning things about Jesus and Mark. It's not like it's not true about him in Matthew, Luke, and, and John. John just doesn't emphasize it as much. But one of the emphatic points of Mark is that Jesus has got some crazy super authority and power. He's just able to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, to anything, just by talking. And this is not a surprise to people. I mean, this isn't in the corner. It's not a secret. This is why the crowds are coming to him. Hey, Jesus, I've got this little thing I've been bothered with for this long. No one can fix it. They tell me it's there the rest of my life. Can you fix it? Yes, I can fix it. Done. And crowds and crowds are coming out to have this done. That's kind of where we left him then in Capernaum. It's a city by the Sea of Galilee with such huge crowds around, having all their diseases healed. He's casting out demons left and right. The whole city, it says in verse 33, is gathered together at the door. Yeah. Um, verse 35, the next morning, rising. Early in the morning, while it's still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. It says, on the other edges of Mark's Jesus, it's just so valuable. And I... I'm going to be at pains here to, to say this because I don't, I don't feel like I say this well and I don't want it to be misunderstood. But what Mark is driving at here is the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus. Okay? Uh, we believe Jesus is God as Christians, right? Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Jesus is God. Jesus is also man, right? Amen. He's fully God. He's fully man. Now, even when you say, I believe that, a lot of times you can still buy a Christmas card of a manger scene where the baby's glowing, right? And you're not sinning by buying a picture of a glowing baby, but he didn't glow, right? But, but did he need his diaper changed? Yes, right? He's human. He's fully human. And so after a ridiculously long day, healing every disease, casting out every demon in the whole city so that where they're pressed into his house, he can barely eat. The next morning, guess what? He wants to be alone. Because that's, that's good. It's good to be alone. Except, does he want to be alone? Look at the text again. He wants to be alone 
to pray. He wants to have his thoughts align before God in God's sight. A lot of times we think of prayer as like a, a magic pillbox, right? I need something, God will give it to me. I think you'll enjoy prayer a lot more when it's not a list of things you need fixed. And instead is a desire to have your mind and your heart have the space and time to be brought into alignment with what God wants you to know and believe. And this happens not by going out to a desolate place and waiting for the sky to broke open and him for, for him to talk. It happens by going to a quiet place where you can have some time alone with the words of the scripture to consider what they mean and perhaps pray them, especially if and when they're prayers. Let me encourage you to believe that when Jesus goes away for some time alone, he is studying the Bible. I don't know that he's pulling out a pocket edition. I don't think he had one. I think he was trained, like many Jewish people, to have large sections of the Psalms memorized. Memorized. And so he would go out and he'd have a moment sitting there in the morning and he would begin to say, you know, my eyes lift up to the hills from whence my salvation hastens. My help comes from Jesus. Well, he'd say, he'd say from Yahweh. My help comes from Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Right? And he began to say the psalm just because he knew it, just because it was what he knew. I had a really nice comment this morning from one of you out there saying, Pastor, thank you. Last year, you were pushing us to start reading the psalms in Jesus' name. And in Lent, I started, and I can't thank you enough. I've now got several memorized. I've memorized two, two sections of Isaiah, too. It's amazing when you take the space to take the word, to let it be what you think, how much what you think becomes better than what you were thinking before. Yeah. And Jesus did this. He's a man. He's a man. He got up. He went out. He filled his mouth with good words. He filled his heart with his father's words. And then uh, they miss him. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And I, I do like to think about this kind of like the flop house after party. Like there's a guy on the couch, there's three guys on the floor. Everyone's lying because they all got healed. They were talking till late in the night, right? Jesus got up, kind of creeps out past them all. And then Peter gets up. He's like looking around. Jesus' place is missing. There's a lot of people here. Where'd he go? He goes out and he finds him and he says to him, everyone's looking for you, right? The house is getting busy. There's more people who've come. They've got their diseases that need to be healed. We're setting up the kingdom of God right here, right? And, and verse 38, um, no, he said, let's leave. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. We'll come back to that word preach. Uh, for that is why I came to preach, not to heal preach. He went out throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So, so the healing's there, but it's, it's not about healing. Really not about healing. It's not about like, I'm going to feel better and enjoy myself. It's more about there's something evil that Jesus is going to fight and destroy. And sometimes that evil has what we might call what? Effects, proximity, right? And so, you know, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, not because she did something bad that afternoon and needed to be punished by Jesus for it, but because she lives in a humanity filled with evil by nature. And so we're all reaping together the corruption of our, our own mutual enmity all our lives, and hers just happened to be a fever that day, yeah? Um, Jesus isn't here, though, to take away those 
pains and sores. No, he's here to preach and attack the demons, right? Attack the demons, which we're kind of going to see in our next section, and we're kind of not going to see in our next section. Um, To get that, I want you to put your finger on the word demon there at the end of verse 39. Demon, that's in Greek. You know some Greek here. Daimonion, you can hear it. Daimon, right? Demon. Um, I don't say this often, but it is interesting when you name your kid Damien. Just, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's a blue devil, so it doesn't count, right, or something, but like, just be aware. The word means demon, right? Damien, demon. Uh, but Mark uses a different word back when he casts out that demon in Capernaum's synagogue. This is around, I'm trying to find the first verse where it's used. Verse 23. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with a, doesn't say demon. It says unclean spirit, right? Unclean spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean for a human to have an unclean? Well, it means he was possessed by a demon, but it's more than that, right? Because that language of unclean is really fascinating. And certainly you have some experience with maybe some carpet or perhaps behind the toilet or every so often you need to go. Because if you don't, it will become very unclean, right? And so you go back there and you clean it and you remove the filth and you feel good about that. That's a very American view of clean. That's good. It's not like this isn't about that, but this is much deeper than that. Because for the Hebrew, cleanliness and godliness weren't just kind of like like each other, but they were absolutely intertwined into each other at the Sinai covenant by God himself as part of their requirements as a society. So that means when you are going to eat some food tonight, it wouldn't be the question, do I like it? It'd be the question, is it clean? The first question you would ask. And we can't even imagine this. You get it a little when you run into some Hebrew and say Islamic culture, you can see it. But we really can't imagine this. And it's not just about food for them. It'll become about food, by the way, in chapter, 20, or chapter 7. But it's not just about food for them. It's about their entire operations of life, right? And in a moment, we're going to see this leper show up who is himself unclean. He doesn't have an unclean spirit. He's just close enough to the results of the unclean spirituality of our age that he's not allowed to come to church in the Hebrew temple. He has to stay outside. And there you get a little more of what the Hebrew means by the word unclean, right? Because if I came into your house and I had dirty hands, you wouldn't say stay outside. You'd say, use my sink, wash your hands, I hope, right? Yeah. Instead, we say this meant unclean because it's worse than just not clean. It's uh, contagious. Yeah. It's, it's corrupting. It's a creeping wickedness. Right. And for the Jew, again, that's the word unclean, not just the leprosy, which is coming in a moment. Symbolized by Mark, first and foremost, by applying it to the demons. The demons are contagious and creeping sick things. Yeah. And Jesus is here to fight them, to cast them out while he preaches. I mentioned we go back to that word, preach. Notice how he's got a huge crowd. I, I really can't just not sucker punch this one, right? He's, he's in a city. It's not as big as Rockford, but it's bigger than, you know, my neighborhood. He's in a city. And he's filled with people. He's got a couple thousand people hanging around on his every word. 
Now, according to American Christianity, that is a mission planting guru right there. He should set up and he should begin to capitalize on what he knows, teach all of his disciples how to do this in other towns and create an empire of spiritual revival. And I can't figure out why he didn't do it. At least, well, you shouldn't be able to figure that out if you think growth is the measure of health in the church. Because he had the growth. He doesn't want it. He wants to go preach somewhere else, he says. Um, now, preach. The word there, it, it can be translated as preach. It's keruxo. You don't need to write that down, but I want you to hear it. Keruxo. Um, it, it can mean preach, but it, preach in English is what I do, right? Like if you just had to say preacher, or you think of somebody like me, or maybe on a stage, you know, at a, at a big box church, but still, you know, he's a pastor. Pastors preach. Um, this word can mean that, and certainly the pastoral office is called to preach to the public crowd. Yes, absolutely. But, but the word's got more edges to that because it really is not a clerical word. It's not about priests and what they do or anything like that. Um, it, it's, a, it's really closer to like shouting <laughs> right? uh, or heralding or sharing the news. So preach, proclaim, is probably the more common translation you'll see as an alternate in some of your, your translations. Um, I like profess a little bit, though. Profess. Notice the pros on the front of these, though, along with preach. PR, preach, uh, proclaim, profess. It's about forward motion, right? Words going forward. I came to have words go forward. Um, Lutherans like the word confess. Confess. Notice profess, confess. They're very tied to each other. The distinction is this. Pro, forward, con, with, right? So if I'm going to profess, I'm going to tell you something. If I'm going to confess, I'm going to repeat what you said. Does that make sense? Huh? Confess, I'm with you. Profess, I tell you. Jesus came not to confess. He came to profess all over the place. And that word going out, that remember Isaiah, will not return void. That's what he's all about right now. What I want you to take from this this morning is that's not just what I do as a preacher. I came to preach. He doesn't mean I came to put pastor's places for people to talk to. He'll do that too. Uh, but what he means is I came to be the voice of God. And that voice of God, wherever it goes, is going to be the voice of God. And that means for you, Christian, wherever you go, you go to preach. Now, again, if you hear that as pastor talk, it's not going to make any sense. But if you hear that as, I'm a Christian with God's word inside of me, and what I really am here in this life to do is to have it come out somewhere, it starts to make a little sense. You will be a professor of Christianity. Now, did you hear what that word was? Put doctor behind your name and everything, right? You will be a professor of Christianity. That's the goal. Huh? And that's what Jesus is. Right? We're just reflecting his light. He is doing this. Going to preach also, though. He casts out the demons as they go. These unclean spirits. Uh, verse 40. Now a leper. Um, that would be a unclean person. So we've shifted. And I kind of said this, but a little repeat here. We shifted from this target demon. God's after the devil to what has it done to us? Here now, we are in captivity to the uncleanliness, and the leper is the greatest image of this, probably because in the ancient world, it's kind of a summary disease 
for all sorts of bad diseases that we just didn't know how to fix that were contagious. So lepers may not have had leprosy, but what we knew was they had something at various times. Whoever you were, that looks sick, go away, live with the lepers, right? Um, and so within the Hebrew society, which is set up not only to worship Jesus and receive things like healing from everything ever, unless you don't worship Jesus, um, in that society then, if you had these diseases, you had to be kept out for the sake of the spirituality of the community. But it was more than just that. God was also protecting the community from disease, right? Why would you not let a leper into your congregation? Well, so you don't all get it, right? And so there was a lot of kind of wisdom or reasoning to this, but what it turns into uh, is a sort of I'm better than you view by the time Jesus comes along. And so this leper, you have to see him as the kinds of the dregs of society that, that we don't, as members of St. Paul, generally have contact with. I was driving home kind of late last night and I saw, I can't remember, it must have been while we were still in Milwaukee, but I thought it was closer to Rockford. Um, so it could have been McChesney Park. I saw a homeless person on the side of the road. They're walking, so they're not, they're not panhandling. And this individual had a shopping cart. It was pushing, it was full of stuff. It was covered in stuff and carrying and just hobbling along with all this. I mean, I just had to be trash, right? Like there's just a lot of trash. I see this person and in my head, my heart, what, guess what I'm thinking, right? I'm not thinking the words unclean, but it's not exactly like I'm slowing down either. And if I saw this person in my front yard, I'd be a little nervous, actually. I'd have to maybe go talk to them, confront them, do something about it. You know, be kind. But point being, right, we all have that place where we know we don't like something about someone. Now, imagine, again, this individual. We all agree about that with this thing. You do that, you're not one of us. You're not allowed in here. And that this has been established by God as a sign of all of our own brokenness, that this leprosy, this uncleanness is really what we all look like to him, every single one of us. Yeah. And let's see then how Jesus handles that, right? This leper comes to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Yeah. So the leper is looking to Jesus for, for the very thing he doesn't have. It isn't just heal me, notice it isn't just heal me, it's make me clean. Which for him is, let me go back to church. Let me worship God. Let me have my sins forgiven by the blood atonement sacrifices, right? He's, he's asking for what Jesus wants to give. And do you remember, if you will, do you remember the story is two weeks ago? Right after the uh, transfiguration event, there's the casting out of this other demon we went through. We kicked it all off with this, right? And he comes down, the father of the boy comes up because everyone's arguing, they can't cast the demon out. And, and the father says, if you can, can you cast the demon out, please? And Jesus goes, if you can, all things are possible. Huh? Um, he doesn't say that here. Why? Well, notice the difference. Is the question if you can? No, it's not. The question is, if you will, there's a big difference. Are you able versus do you want to? So the first question we get that we get to hear from one of these special people, symbolic people that will stand out as examples of us in this story. This leper is you. Is this leper is going to Jesus and saying, do you want to heal me? I know you can. That's not the question. It's, it's will you? Yeah. 
And what's Jesus do? Verse 41, moved with pity. That's a mercy word. This isn't pity like scoffing pity. This is like compassion. Move with pity. He says, he stretched, oh, well, this is great too. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. There's, there's just so much here in this little section. Because before he says, I desire it, which is pretty good news, right? You're coming to Jesus. Jesus, do you desire to forgive my sins? I do, right? That, that's good news. But imagine now that your sin is such that no one ever, ever touches you. You haven't been touched for 15 years. You come up and you say, can you forgive me? And the first thing he does is he touches you. Then he says, yes. You see that in the text? There's, there's humanity here that is unbelievably kind in this crazy authoritative man who's conflicting with everybody. Unbelievably kind. His compassion is deep. He touched him and says, I will. I desire to be clean immediately, straightway, the old translation there. The leprosy left him and he was made clean. That's just power right there by itself. It's joy. Now, what happens in the next verse is a little more of a, a riddle. Kind of takes us in a new direction. It's a, something scholars and Bible geeks like to argue about. Um, it, verse 43 Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof for them. Uh, this is what the scholars like to call, the geeks like to call, uh, the Markin secret. Okay, Mark, it's Markin, it belongs to Mark. The Markin secret. What's the Markin secret? Well, Jesus keeps telling people not to talk. <laughs> like he does this, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, does this, don't tell anybody. Just over and over again, you get a touch of the Markin secret in Matthew and Luke. It shows up. But in Mark, it's like all over. So we're going to see this a few times. All right? um, first thing to know about the Markin secret, nobody can tell you they know what the Markin secret means. Anyone who says, I know what it means, they're being very, I would say, um, I don't know, eager in their answer. Uh, because Mark doesn't tell us. And the reason it's been argued over for 300 or 400 years by Protestant scholars is because it's just not that easy. Why is Jesus doing this, right? We did see a moment ago the bit about he doesn't necessarily want more crowds. So there's some of that there. Uh, but there's all sorts of other edges, too. It's why I think you can't just pin it down. Why does he say to him, go to the priests, offer the sacrifice of Moses? I mean, clearly, he's not here to overthrow Moses. And Moses would have rules for if you had leprosy or some other skin disease and you found that you were healed. Who healed you, by the way? Yeah, God. It had to be God no matter what, right? It was the doctors. Okay, fine. It was still God. You find yourself healed, by the way. What were you supposed to do? You're supposed to thank God. How'd you do that? You went to the temple. You offered very specific sacrifices. I had this problem. Look it up. You need this, this, and this. We've got to cut it up this way. Here we go, right? That was their system. Right? Um, that was their, that it was, is our religion prior to the sacrifice of Christ's blood. Jesus is concerned that that be maintained up to the sacrifice of himself on the cross. Jesus wants Moses to remain true because it is. So you got that bit of it in here as well. 
Um, uh, verse 45 shows us, and this is another part of the mark in secret. No matter how much Jesus says, don't tell anybody, whenever he says, don't tell anybody, guess what they do? Yeah, well, they don't listen to him. <laughs> Right, uh, the, the transfiguration. Listen to him. Maybe that was about what it, what it was about. As God was tired of everyone bursting the secret, probably not. Uh, but uh, he keeps saying, "Don't tell," and they do anyway. Verse forty-five. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Right? How does he end up feeding five thousand men plus women and children on a hillside? Well, it's because he can't go into cities anymore. <laughs> There's just too many people condensing on him. And so he goes out to get away and they start flowing out there anyway. This guy's a real riot happening. And, and that is what the authorities begin to think as well. Um, he can't go in. Now, chapter two, we just said he can't go into any of the towns. But guess what? Next thing it says, he goes into a town. Uh, he returns to Capernaum. This is where we were when he went out to be by himself and pray. Okay, so we were just here, and it was just so busy, he had to leave, but we're back already. All right? They returned to Capernaum after some days. Quietly, it would seem, because eventually it's reported that he was at home. Yeah? <laughs> Oops. Uh, who let them know Jesus was here? Now, many were gathered together. Verse 2. So that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was, there's preaching, proclaiming, right? Professing. Proclaiming the word to them. Small review. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he is the son of God. Remember again from the book of Romans that the son of God, who is the son of David, must rise from the dead. But that means that the end of the world has come. This is back to Mark again uh, in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The end of the world has come. The reign of God, the king, is at hand. So, believe that. that that's the good news repent that's the good news he's preaching that still in the house while of course curing and all these things that are going on and they came verse three bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men um, four is kind of a fun number i don't know that you should make too much out of it in this particular text but just for a reminder's sake it's the number of the world the number of earth um, I also learned this week it's the number of the moon, uh, which is interesting. Biblically, it's the number of the moon. Anyway, uh, these four men are bringing this, this paralytic. Now, what's the difference between a paralytic and a leper? Okay. I want you to, to kind of see the difference here. Um, the paralytic may have certain things that prevent him from being clean enough to be part of uh, the, Lord's, the Lord's services at the temple. Uh, it, there, there are kind of edges there of how close he can get, but he's, he's by no means as cut off from his people as, as the leper is going to be. So we're taking a step away from like the far extreme of unclean, and we're moving into something that's a little more between unclean and just bad. Okay. No one's saying unclean about the paralytic, but nobody wants to be him. Right. He's not going to do certain jobs. He's kind of limited in who he can be, right? And perhaps you remember this part probably from, from uh, Sunday school uh, where they, they could not, verse 4, get near him because of the crowd, right? The house is so full they can't get near him, so they tear open his roof. How do you like that, right? Uh, they remove the roof above him. This is his home, it says, right? He's living with people here at least. They remove the roof above him. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to back it up again. Like, like think about Jesus as a man. 
Like he's like watching his roof get opened on top of him. He's got to be like a little like, <laughs> here it goes again. When they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. This is quitting, creating quite a, a stir and show, you got to imagine too, right? And I should probably point out their roofs would have been easier to fix than ours would today. This wasn't quite the same thing, but still, everyone's watching. Right? Everyone's crowded around watching. They're talking. Crumbles come down, falling, more crumbles, hole opens. He keeps talking. And next thing you know, this guy's being laid down, you know, in, in, a, in a, not a basket, but on a, on a flat for them. Everyone's got to be kind of watching. Maybe underneath, you're like, he's coming right on top of you. You're going to scoot aside. He gets uh, laid down there. But it's, the point is, there's a big moment coming where something's going to happen, right? And you're expecting something to happen based upon your reading so far. What does Jesus do? He heals people. And? Cast out demons, okay? He heals people, he casts out demons. So one of those two things should be about to happen, right? But instead, verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, 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 rewind. Jesus, you missed your cue. That's like later at the cross or something, right? Right now, you're supposed to be in the healing business. Now, some of the scribes who were sitting there, that's exactly what they're doing. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's one thing for you to heal a leper. Another thing for you to make yourself God. Because only God can forgive sins. Oh, but you see, isn't that the story? That's been the story the whole time. Who is this guy? He's God. If you like that, what happens? Good things, mercy. If you don't like that, what happens? Conflict. Conflict. Yeah. Why does this man speak like that? He blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, straightway, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, this is a, a, quite the riddle here, because is the riddle which is easier to say and have it work, or is the riddle which is easier to say, right? Uh, if I just say your sins are forgiven, I mean, how do you test that? Whereas if I say, rise up and walk, it's kind of like, oh, funny joke, pastor. Oh, wait, that just happened, right? You can see something, Right? And so what's going on here? Is, is Jesus trying to say that rising and walking is harder or that forgiving is harder? And you can, you can debate both of these things here. I think the whole thing plays together to make the point. What did he try to do first? Forgive sins. What do they say to him? That's a bad idea. What does he do back? He said, watch this. I can do whatever I want. Boom. Makes him rise. I know I hit my hand. It hurt. <laughs> um, uh, rise up and walk, right? I'll do this other one. I'll make him walk so that you'll stop arguing about the fact that I want his heart to feel better about his sin before God. I get off that. And if you need the sign to prove it, fine. But the real thing, why is he here? To preach and cast out unclean spirits. Where is he really wanting to cast the unclean spirit out? Out of you, the leprosy of your own heart the paralytic broken legs of your sinful flesh. 
He is here to clean that. How's he going to do that? Forgiveness. That's how he's going to do it. It's forgiveness. Yeah. So, again, he says, take up your mat and walk. Right? So that you may know. Verse 10. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Again, so there's, so yeah, so I can prove to you that I can say I forgive you. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose immediately, straightway, picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, who is this guy? The amazement, the stunning, the crowds, just, oh, what, what just happened there? They're not even sure, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes, you can, you can imagine, they're not real happy after this event, right? That's the first counterpunch that they've got, but they're coming back. These guys are just going to be rough all the way through. Um, in the meantime, Jesus goes out and does something kind of unexpected. So we've, we've moved from healing and leper to uh to forgiving the sins and healing of a paralytic. Now we're moving into someone who's closer to the leper, I think, the way most Jews would have seen it in the tax collector. He's unclean in a very different way. Uh, he is not necessarily possessed by a demon. Uh, what he is, is he's just a greedy sellout. And the reason for this is because tax collection in the ancient world was more uh, than, than just paying your dues to the IRS via you know, mail or whatever. Um, this individual would be charged with collecting the taxes kind of door-to-door or face-to-face in some way. And the way that the tax collectors normally made their money was by buying the contract of the taxes. So you can imagine, like, let's say we all live here in a little village right around St. Paul, right, for the sake of imagination. And I buy the contract from Rockford for our taxes as tax collector. And then my job, they tell me, you guys owe this much every year. And I turn around and tell you, we owe this much every year. Don't worry, I'll take a little off the top. We owe this much every year. Pay that. I'll tell you how much they're saying that I'm supposed to get. I'm getting whatever I can get. That's the tax collector. Oh, wait. And he's working for Caesar with idolatrous printed money with Caesar's face and name and false religion on it. And he's abandoned all hope of the return of the son of David as a result of this. He's just getting his own right now. So think of like the most selfish person you can imagine. And that's sort of the category that this people live in, right? Uh, Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. He was teaching. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him, just like the fishermen, just like Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Follow me, he does immediately. The difference now, this guy doesn't belong getting called. Peter, James, John, it all made sense, right? Here he is, he's calling Jewish fishermen, he's casting out demons, he's healing diseases, everything's going great. Now I'm going to forgive sins. Oops, got some enemies. And I'm going to call this guy. What's that about, Jesus? That's a little weird, because what this guy does, by the way, this is Matthew. Levi is Matthew. Uh, what, What Matthew, Levi does, is he invites Jesus to dinner, verse 15. And he reclined a table in his house, And many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed them. 
All right, so now we have tax collector paired with another word, sinner. And sinner is a word that, um, I mean, I use it with you, but I don't use it a lot. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's just a weird word. It doesn't, it doesn't mean what it is. Yeah? Uh, the word to sin means to miss. I don't think that's how most people think about sin. I think about missing. The more I think about it is like having something, right? And don't get me wrong, original sin is a corruption of our flesh. We own it. But when we're talking about sinners, we're talking about people who are missing something. All right? Now, uh, give me a minute here. I don't think I painted this as well as I could have in the first service. I want to try again here, though, anyway. I'm pretty convinced. I've been in Rockford for five years now. Um, I, I know the streets. I know the people. I know the surrounding area. I know you, St. Paul Lutheran Church. And I know that Rockford's a pretty diverse place, really. It's not Philadelphia, but it's got a lot going on. And I think we are a group of people that, by and large, live in what you would call civilized Rockford. What do I mean by that? I mean, by and large... We like to get married, have kids, go to school, get a job, take care of our stuff, live a quiet life. Rockford's got a lot of people that that's just too much for them. I don't mean like, like the woke you know, thing in the library. I mean, no, no, really, they just can't get off the couch today. And maybe to go give some, uh, some blood or some, some plasma, make a little money, get some more drugs. There's a lot of that here in Rockford. And I know, I know at times you're in places in Rockford where this is around you and you see it and the instinct in the heart of man is ew. And that's again, part of what we want to see is so much about us here and how that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't you. Huh? But to understand that by sinners in the text, it means all the people you don't want at your party. And you can think of a lot of reasons for why you wouldn't want them there, right? Um, I'd rather at St. Paul, we start thinking about how Jesus came um, to save sinners like those who are broken. Jesus came to save sinners like those who are helpless, those who are trapped, those who don't know a better way. They, they literally cannot see to hit the target. They didn't know there was a target. No wonder they're missing. And the target isn't, hey, you, stand up, be a better person. The target is, God loves you. Jesus bought you. You're his now. Yeah. And that's what these people coming to Jesus, they didn't know. And so they were living all manner of broken and stupid and wicked life. But when they hear Jesus talk with the authority that he has about the forgiveness of sins, guess what? They want more. And I'll, I'll just be very frank. I think there's a lot of that in Rockford too. We just got to figure out how to profess here at St. Paul so people know that the grace we have here is what we want to give to them. We'll let Jesus figure out how to teach us that. I won't push it too hard. But here we are, tax collectors and sinners, reclining with Jesus, many who followed. Verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with, there it is, the, those who miss, and those tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this goes deep 
into regulations about how you as a pious Jewish male needed to keep certain cleanliness laws in order to participate in regular worship. Only now we've moved from those cleanliness laws that God says you have to do at Sinai to the cleanliness laws that the rabbis say you have to do. And the difference between those things is kind of like this. We're talking about missing the mark, right? So, so you have this thing you don't want to hit called sin, right? And you have some laws from Mount Sinai about not hitting sin. Huh? And so what the rabbis did is they're like, well, but right here, we're not so sure about this. So let's make the circle bigger. If it is a sin to walk too far on the Sabbath, how far is too far? Well, we'll decide on this number of steps and that number is the number, right? That's how they handled washing their hands before dinner or who you would eat with at dinner at all. Like you would never eat with a tax collector or a sinner. It would make you unclean. You follow where the story's going here, right? Yeah. Uh, so why is he with the unclean people? They're asking him and Jesus heard it. And he said to them, uh, those who are well, not clean, healthy, different word. Those who are healthy have no need of a doctor. And those who are sick do. And then he uses another word. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I came not to call those who are already hitting the mark. I came to call those who are missing the mark. Because the way I see their uncleanliness is like a disease. It's a sickness. And I'm the doctor. And I've come to heal it. Hence, here I am casting out demons. Hence, here I am healing diseases. Hence, here I am proclaiming the kingdom of God. Hence, here I am to make the whole world clean. Now, as a Christian, I hope when you hear this, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Somewhere deep inside of you, you go, yes. <laughs> yes, because that's me. Uh, I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. I hope, I hope deep in you that that never leaves. But I also want you to see how uh, uh, being called from sin is being called to righteousness. And the word for that is repentance. So we can get all caught up in some Roman Catholic thing about whether you've earned enough righteousness to get out of purgatory. Let's leave that for some other time. I'm not in that world right now. I'm just talking about how when Jesus sits down with broken people, and says to them words of God, they don't keep doing the wicked thing they were doing after that. This is really important. Jesus doesn't eat with sinners to say it's okay, keep doing it. That's not what's ever happening. He's eating with them and he's forgiving their sins and teaching them in a better way to go. So for him to come, not for the righteous, but for sinners, is to call sinners to repent in need of righteousness, which he will give. And indeed, that's the cross. That's what the cross is, is the righteousness we so desperately needed. It's why you love the verse, I'm a sinner. Why? Because Jesus saves me. He saves me where? Into himself, which is not sin. It is not evil. Jesus has no darkness in him at all. It is all righteousness. Yeah? And so again, what, what am I getting at here? This text does get used by some to talk about how we just kind of got to let everybody do what they want, right? 
Didn't Jesus eat with sinners? Why are you so judgmental? Uh, uh, Jesus gathered with people who were broken in order to tell them the truth. And when he told them the truth, it did one of two things. It, it broke their heart further and then salved it so he could plant in it hope. Or it hardened them so they resisted him more so that eventually he just crushes them with his wrath. Those are the only two options we really get here. And you Christians are here this morning because you have been broken and watered with the salve. Now, what I don't want anyone to ever convince you of is that we should stop breaking you and watering you because some people get hard. Some people get hard. They're going to get hard. But he came to continue to call you who've missed back into he who has hit. And when the water hits your forehead with the word of God and you are baptized, it is like all the targets have come together. I, I don't know, we're really at time here, but have you ever heard me talk about why baptism is so much better in one sense um, uh, than, say, just hearing the word? Lord's Supper works this way too. All right, so maybe, maybe um, you haven't drifted off at all in this whole sermon once today. Good for you. Maybe you haven't even listened yet. I don't think that's true. I've been watching. Every once in a while, I, I do know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, but you can come into the church. You can sit there the whole service, and you can walk away and not take a thing from it. You can miss it all. But if you come in here, and I put bread in your mouth, you walk away, there's no way you missed now, it could be to your damnation if you're not thinking about it at all. Okay, so that's not, I'm not saying that's not true. But the point is the Lord's Supper can't miss. And this is what I love about baptism, right? I mean, I'd have to be really bad pastor to miss a baptism. I don't mean like not show up. I mean, there's the baby. There's the water. Right? Not going to miss. I want you to think of your baptism that way. That's the day when God singled you out from eternity and decided that one, and he's not going to miss. Because right? his righteousness knows no sin. And as the doctor who is capable of doing all things, whatever he wants, his word is his authority. He has willed himself, chosen to be here in order to call you sinner clean. Have you believe it? Have you believe it? And the amazing thing is even while that flesh is still around, that faith stands upright and walks forward with hope and confidence the world can't know. The same kind we watch Jesus having everywhere he goes. Just a little bit breaking off and following you. Yeah. Or really, I should say, oh, you're following him. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please rise for prayer.